Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary on this Wednesday. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you uh, like this video, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment. If you are listening in podcast form, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Coming up on the show today, we look at the greatest CFL players of all time as we continue to get hyped for Grey Cup 110. Um, and it's another edition of the diary entries as I go over uh, the Flames game last night against Montreal. If you want a bit more like in-depth big picture on uh, on Flames and Habs, I had a great show with Mark Dumont on our um, game over head-to-head last night on the SDPN uh, YouTube channel, so check that one out there. But this is going to be a bit more blow-by-blow, blow. and then also uh, caught the tail end of a couple of basketball games last night, so uh, giving my thoughts on that. And then we'll close with today's ticket. As always, you can follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show, Diary at Yahoo. Dot com. Um, thank you all so much for tuning in. Video's jumpy. Let's get on with the show. All right, uh, we continue to get ready for the 110th Grey Cup. Um, it, it should be, honestly, it should be a fun game. The spread right now is around eight and a half. I am hoping that comes down a bit. Um, eight and a half feels a, a little bit high. I haven't seen um, a lot of player props out there yet, but I'm going to be looking at a couple of those. We'll go over all of those coming up on uh, on Friday's show. But I thought today, you know, uh, while, while we're getting ready for the, the future and all of that, let's uh, l- let's celebrate the past, shall we? With a, uh, a look at the greatest CFL players of all time. Here are my rankings from uh, 10 through 1. In at number 10, it is Jackie Parker. Uh, 13 years in the league. He three-time Great Cup champion, but the, the most amazing thing about this player is he played quarterback, running back, defensive back, and kicker. Um, playing back in the, I believe it was 50s and 60s. But um, when, when you do like that sort of versatility and played, it, it seemed like from all accounts, I don't have a lot of eyes on his games, but um, it seemed like from all accounts, he, he played fairly high level at, at all of those spots. And so he deserved, I thought, a spot on this list. Um, interestingly, um, no active players on my list. Um, I don't really feel like we're at that spot. Now, you can make a really compelling case for Zach Caleros. If he gets a third Grey Cup here in four years, um, that, that he could maybe make his way up this list a little bit, but we'll see. Coming in at number nine, it's Mike Pringle. He retired as the, the league's leading rusher and also retired as the, the leader in yards from scrimmage in his CFL career. Um, he's a three-time Grey Cup champion, I, I believe, and a seven-time ulcer. I say I believe. I'm trying to read my own printing. Um, he was like the, the most dominant running back I can remember watching in the Canadian Football League. Um, a, a fantastic mix of speed and power and what was just like an absolute force to be reckoned with. He, he would be one of those guys where he'd run into the pile and say, okay, well, we got him for a couple and then it's second and three. It's like, what the, how did he, what? He, he was an absolute stud when it came to those sorts of things. And so he gets uh, my note here for for making this. At number eight, it's Damon Allen. You look at the stats and probably deserves to be higher. 23 years in the league and uh, four-time Grey Cup champion, 
former All-Star, retired as the all-time leader in passing in the Canadian Football League. The reason he's not higher on this list to me is I think a lot of his accomplishments are a bit more that of an accumulator than someone who was this all-time great. He was just really good for a really long time, which there's absolutely something to be said for that, right? I have him as the eighth greatest player in the 100 plus years of the Canadian Football League. It's the 110th Great Cup this year. League's been around for a minute, so I got him in at number eight. I, I just, he never felt like the most dominant guy, um, especially when I, like, really started watching. Um, but, like, again, very good and uh, a cool way to, to end things in his career out in Toronto. But um, it never really felt like that the dude who was like, okay, that this is, like, an all-time great here. He just kept going, and eventually I was like, oh, fuck, I guess... Yes, he's one of the best. Um, so he can, comes in at number eight. Right ahead of him is Ron Lancaster in at number seven. 16 seasons in the league, two-time Grey Cup champion, two-time MOP, and a four-time All-Star. Um, one of the, the first real faces of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and there might be some bias in, in putting him on this spot. But I, I think that um, the numbers would probably look a little bit better had he had better Saskatchewan teams around him. They do win the first Grey Cup in Riders history in 1966. He and someone else who will come up on this list a little bit later on. Um, you can also, like, this. that's not what this list is for, but you can give him props as being a pretty damn good head coach as well. Um, but he is someone who, like, face of the franchise, and it, it's just because Saskatchewan was a bit of a poverty franchise in the, the 60s and 70s, and some would argue now, um, that he, he doesn't have the accumulated stats that, that maybe the guy right behind him does, but the level of excellence that he played at, I don't think can be ignored. Uh, coming in at number six, it's Alan Pitts. He retired as the all-time leader in receiving, two-time Grey Cup champion, six-time All-Star, um, held in very high regard out here in Calgary, and it, it's basically a toss-up, him and Milt Steele, as the best receivers in the history of the Canadian Football League. Which brings me to number five, Milt Stiegel. As uh, 14 years in the league, he's the CFL's all-time leading receiver, nine-time All-Star, and a most outstanding player. Um, I don't know if you had them like head-to-head -head, um, who comes out on top, but um, Milt Stiegel was just so much better than everyone of his time and was such a major part of what was going on out in Winnipeg. Uh, wild that he doesn't have that Grey Cup, um, as Winnipeg um, went from 1990 until very recently without Grey Cups, but one of, the, one of those guys who just, like, was in absolute complete control of the game, even from the wide receiver position, and just one of those guys was like, fuck, man, like, how how is he constantly getting open? As someone who cheered for the green and white, um, a, a difficult guy to to, to really cheer against, that was for sure. In at number four, it is Anthony Calvillo, the all-time leading passer in professional football. That's always a weird one, but it's accurate. Anyway, uh, three-time Grey Cup champion, three-time MLP. I was thinking about this when putting this list together. How differently do we remember Anthony Calvillo's career if he doesn't win those Grey Cups in 09 and, and 2010? Like, if he doesn't have the back-to-back -back wins against Saskatchewan, or if they lose that, like, if, if 13 men on the field doesn't happen... Um, and they just missed that field goal and he loses that one. Even if he wins in 2010, what does it mean for his legacy and, and how differently we view Anthony Calvillo? But he gets the two right at the end and it's like, you know what? Three feels like the right number of Grey Cups for, for this guy. Maybe they got away with one uh, against Saskatchewan in, in 2009. Uh, 2010 was close, but the, the Riders were never really in it. Um, Anthony Calvillo... 
it was just, it was a model of consistency. And he was one who elevated everyone around him. Not that the guys below him on this list didn't, but it was at just another level of dominance in the Canadian Football League, especially at that late of a point in your career as well. It was just, it was consistent greatness for him. And that's why he gets in at number three. Uh, sorry, in at number four. In at number three, it is George Reed. We did a, a legacy look on him when he passed away um, last month. Um, retired as the leading rusher, Grey Cup MLP, seven-time All-Star, and was just like this power back that you think of from the 60s and 70s. And someone who was, the, uh, along with Ronald Lancaster, the face of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, especially in the 60s, and just dragged that team to its first Grey Cup. And the first real actual run of success that, that the Riders had was basically just on him and Ron Lancaster dragging that team across the finish line. So he comes in at uh, at number three for me. At two, um, it's Warren Moon. Um, six seasons in the CFL, five Grey Cups, uh, two times he was the passing leader and one time MLP. That stretch there, uh, from 78 to 82, where Edmonton just won everything always. Um, it, it is one of the most dominant runs you can have in sport, and it gets him a pretty decent run in the National Football League as well. Um, he was kept out because of the color of his skin, and people just doubting what he could do, and then he balled out in, Sask or in, in Edmonton, sorry, and... Everyone recognized what he could do. Um, the last season doesn't end great, but five great cups. You can you can give a guy a pass for, for maybe faltering toward the end. But uh, even like he was great, just the team around him wasn't very good. Um, and in at number one, it is Doug Flutie. Eight seasons, six MOPs, three great cup championships. He was the MVP in all of those. It, it was inevitable that, that they were going to be around it the whole time. I remember um, when the Riders made it to the great cup in 1997, and it was just like two plays in. It was like... Well, this is over. It, it was just, it was dominance. The, the whole way it was dominance. Um, six MOPs in eight seasons. Like, that. that's just, again, it's not 23 years or 14 years or anything like that. But to be the best player in the league for 75% of your career, you, you just can't match that. Um, it, it was an unbelievable run for Doug Flutie in the CFL and one that will be very difficult to match. So um, those are my thoughts. Leave a thought, uh, leave a note in the comments if you're watching on YouTube um, for who you think should be among the greatest of all time in the CFL. Now let's get into uh, more present day stuff and see what I saw last night around the sports world. <music> All right, we will start with the Calgary Flames against the Montreal Canadiens. Again, um, if you want more big picture thoughts on this game, um, check out Game Over Calgary um, and Montreal. It was a game over head-to-head -head, me and Mark Dumont. Um, my camera is really glitching out today. I apologize. Um, so now, for diary entry, for those of you who are new, um, it's called Couch Potato Diary, so a nice little thing instead of just my notebook. But I, I, I just I take notes on everything I watch, and so this is just kind of a blow-by-blow blow of what I saw from the games that I watched from the night before. Um, so the game starts, and uh, Pospisil has a nice chip to Zadorov for a really good chance. They get control, and Kadri gets another opportunity. Um, that 
Pospisil, Kadri, uh, Zari line was really strong for the Flames last night against Montreal. I would say probably their best, and it's not particularly close. Zari already has three goals in six games with, with this Flames team. He is among the, the point leaders on the Flames. Um, and so I think from a, a Calgary perspective, you have to be pretty happy with what you have got so far from, from Connor Zari. Um, and it's been a nice boost for the, this group with, with him and Pospisil on the same line. I think they've played really, really well together. And um, I, I think that, like, there are a lot of concerns still in Calgary. I don't think Nazem Kadri is one of them at this particular moment in time. Anyway, um, another part of this is Zadorov was flying last night. We'll get into a play where he wasn't great on, but overall, uh, Nikita Zadorov played some really, really good hockey last night, I thought, for the Calgary Flames. Uh, Caulfield gets a good rush um, down the left side, and he gets a pretty good chance after that. They control with a, a bit more pressure. Um, Anderson gets a, a strong play in the corner to keep a shift going. Uh, this is, sorry, this is Rasmus Anderson. A uh, strong play in the corner to keep things going after a good shift from Nazem Kadri. So again, that Kadri line setting the table and other people coming in to, to follow off of it. Just a note here on Rasmus Anderson. I thought he was excellent last night against Montreal, and I think he is a player who has elevated his game this season. Like, if we're looking at, um, like, who on the Flames has stepped up, Rasmus Anderson has stepped up. He has been everything you could want and more from a Flames defenseman this season, and I think you look at him as someone who um, I think is probably playing the best hockey of their career right now. Um, Gallagher gets a, a rush chance. That one is stopped. And Montreal at this point, like I just, I wrote in my notes, they are flying early. This is a Habs team that plays with a crazy amount of pace and a, a Habs team that just, that they can fly up and down the ice. And they were, they were, they dictated how this game was played for most of it, quite frankly. Um, and I just, I, I love the way that Montreal was able to play. I came out of this game really, really high on the Habs, both now and in the future. Um, Tanev makes a nice diving play to, to break up a Matheson chance. Matheson was kind of all around it last night. Um, and then you get Caulfield with a, a good chance. Um, once again, Markstrom though was excellent in this game. And that's another part of this is Markstrom was just so good for Calgary. Caulfield was too. I loved Caulfield's game last night. He felt dangerous every time he touched the puck. Um, so we go to the second period and early on Kadri with a nice play spins off of the wall and just spins and shoots and scores. There isn't a whole lot of analysis on this. Um, Kelly Rudy made a point that it's really difficult for goalies to, to stop plays like that. Um, I would imagine so, but a perfect shot from Kadri. Like I said, it feels like he's going right now. Um, and so from a flames perspective, you like that. Um, but just 17 seconds later, Dvorak with a pass in front. Lindstrom, it's a tough shot. It bounces in off of Rasmus Anderson, off of Markstrom, and into the back of the net. So a difficult blow there, I think, for um, for, for Calgary to take. But all of a sudden, it's 1-1. And it's just like, man, really? Like, it's felt pretty even to this point. But Calgary finally gets their goal. It seems like they're, they're maybe the better team. Um, and Montreal is just right back. Boom. Goal. Um, and it's, it's kind of a fluky one. So it's, it's tough off of that. Um, then Baron makes a, a really bad turnover leads to a tripping penalty. Um, that was a, a real, real tough one there. Like Baron, just a no look pass. It leads to a tripping call. But after that, like Montreal kills that penalty and, and they were quite good at it. And I, I think when adding things to the list of, oh shit for the flames, um, Calgary's power play, I think needs to be 
on that list um, as it's not really produced a whole lot lately. Moving on, um, Josh Anderson with a, a really good shot. It hits the crossbar. He hasn't scored this year. I didn't realize that. Um, we talked about it on Game Over last night. He is the type of guy that GM salivate over, right? Like, he's a big dude. He's got a great shot. He can skate quite well uh, when that, that ball gets rolling. And so it's just, you, you don't know what's kind of holding him back a little bit. But I, I have always liked his game. Um, I wouldn't give up the farm for him. But if you are looking at retooling for the Flames, I think you could do worse than uh, than a Josh Anderson. Um, Rasmus Anderson, then a pass to Zari, and he bangs it in, and it's 2-1 Calgary. So again, Zari, right place, right time. He's not a big dude, but he's playing right in tight. And Rasmus Anderson, another one where he has stepped up and made a big play. Um, after that, though, Dvorak with a steal from Zadorov finds Caulfield. Um, again, Dvorak was great in this game. Caulfield was really good. And this is the Zadorov factor, right? Like this is why I don't trust him as more than a five, six guy is because he'll, he'll look great when it's rolling. And then he will make some mistakes where it is so infuriating. And this was a hundred percent one of those times. Um, and then not too long after Huberto gets called for tripping. He again was really quiet tonight. There was not that that is the most quiet the Backland Coleman and Winger X line has been all season long. And that is a really scary sign for Huberto. Because to me, breaking him and Lindholm up and putting him with, with Backland and Coleman was kind of the last break glass in case of emergency situation. And the fact that it played out like that is, I think, a real concern from a, a Flames standpoint. Um, from there, where are we here? Oh yeah, on that, Montreal's power play looked really dangerous. Like there's, again, they, they just, it's not just that they are fast, they play quick. It's quick puck movement all around, which you don't really get with the Flames. A lot of it is geared toward trying to get Caulfield that shot over on the, the far circle, but um, there's still some other dangerous weapons on this. Just not enough right now. Like, Montreal is still probably a superstar away from really threatening in a very good Atlantic division and a pretty good Eastern Conference, but they they have a, a strong foundation built um, out there. We go to the third period. Rosichka pokes a puck away from Matheson. It leads to a Lindholm goal. They challenge for offside. It's pretty clearly offside. Um, we didn't get the view of it until after, which is infuriating if we're going to be doing these. I don't know why the NHL has access to that and we don't uh, from a viewer standpoint, but um, it was still, it was a good play by Rosichka to, to set that up. Like it was strong play down low, I thought that line was a little quiet in this game um, overall. Like that's, you're hoping to, to kind of spark that line. And I get like the, the changes were kind of to get, um, kind of to get Huberto going. But I, I thought that that line was sort of lacking in this game a little bit here. Um, but overall, like the, the, they almost had a goal. Anyway, Caulfield gets a, another good look down the side. He has such an excellent shot, man. Like this is, um, th this is a dude that's going to score 50, I think this year for, or maybe not this year, but soon. Like he has, he has that kind of offensive upside, um, that, that I think like that this is a guy who's going to lead the league in scoring at some point. Like I, I think that highly of him, especially after watching this game. Monaghan has a shot deflect off of the post, a, a good look there, but overall Montreal did kind of slow in slow down in this third period. I thought Calgary was the better team in the third. First and second period, I don't know, man. It was it kind of seemed like a toss-up there. Um, Kadri knocks down Suzuki. It's a penalty on that power play, um, or specifically on that penalty kill, I guess. Calgary gets a 2-1-0. Coleman pass across. Um, he and Backlund 2-1-0, and they miss the net. And if there is a better way of summing up the flame season, I don't know what it is. That was just a putrid miss. You can't miss the net 2-1-0. 
Um, like you just you can't have that happen. Um, so that was that was pretty brutal to to see happen there for uh, for the Flames. Um, Suzuki gets a chance in tight. He was okay in this game. He had a couple of good looks later on, but um, he certainly wasn't the star of this show. I don't think anyway. Um, and then Gallagher gets called for a penalty on on Lindholm. It was a really bad penalty call, and I guess Manjapani thought so too because then he takes a dumb penalty on Matheson in the slot where for no reason he just pushes him to the ground. Um, and this is what we talked about before, after that suspension with Manjapani. You're not at a point where you can be doing this kind of shit. Um, Manjapani is too important to what the Flames are doing, especially offensively, especially on the power play, that you just, you can't be taking dumb penalties like that. It's a couple now for Manj, and it, it's just, he is now at that level where even you just being off of the ice, let alone, like, taking off a power play, putting your team shorthanded in a one-goal game, like, that's dumb, don't fucking do it, but... He is at a level where just him not being on the ice for two minutes is a hindrance to this team. So he, his importance means he needs to stop doing shit like that. And it's been a couple of those lately. And again, it's been a frustrating season, but just stuff like that can't happen. Oh, uh, we go from there. Anderson, uh, now the Flames kill it off. We're late in the game. Anderson gets a perfect feed from Sean Monaghan and a picture perfect chance in tight and Markstrom robs him. Anderson is going to be seeing that in his nightmares until he actually gets his call. But um, Monaghan obviously had jumped tonight playing against his former team, but his playmaking has got a lot better in Montreal. I think his pace has got a bit better. Like, I think he's skating just a touch better. And maybe that's because he's healthier now. But I, I never thought of him as a burner, but I, I thought he played quicker in this game. Uh, sets up an Anderson chance. Really nice play late. Calgary does get that stop. Obviously, Markstrom phenomenal. And then they clear. And there's about 30 seconds left. I'm, I'm like, okay, Montreal maybe gets it with one second left. Like, there's a, oh, Suzuki's already in the zone. Like, it's really, like, teams are able to kind of lock down the blue line and make it really difficult for a re-entry. Suzuki just blew by everyone. Like, that was his best play of the game. Um, not the best defending from Calgary, but I thought that was a really good play from him. Um, it, it started a, a good push late. They weren't able to break through and Calgary wins two to one but I came away from this game honestly more impressed with Montreal than with Calgary um like for from a flame standpoint it, you kind of came away from it thinking okay well Calgary hung with them which is not what you want to come away thinking from from these games um you, you want like okay Calgary reestablished something like I don't I don't come away from this thinking Calgary's playoff team now baby they, they, they've got this one locked in that that's not where I am at with this uh flames group at all right now it, it was more well, they survived that one, so great work. Um, other things I watched last night, uh, Denver against the Clippers. We had Denver minus five and a half, so this was a little infuriating, but the Clippers go down big. Um, then in the third quarter, they're able to work their way back, and they did it by going small. They, they went hard in Westbrook, um, Paul George, Kawhi, and P.J. Tucker, and offensively, it was it was really rolling for them. Like That, that was the first time this Clippers offense looked kind of in sync, but late in the game... Um, just back on this offense late in the game, there wasn't a real flow to it. Like the best play they had was a drive and kick to Norm Powell for a corner three that at the time kind of made it feel like, man, the Clippers might actually do this. But after that, it was iso ball, iso ball, iso ball, iso ball. And it was just that they still have a lot to figure out with this offense, but it's, it's getting late early um, for the Clippers in this game. And the problem with that lineup, like, okay, they've got the scoring figured out. This is good. Oh my God, Jokic is eating them alive. Um, like he... He just had a field day with that lineup, either getting to the hole anytime he wanted. Reggie Miller pointed out on the broadcast, the Clippers were really late and sometimes not at all sending help, and that was a big problem for this team. And 
Um, it, it caused some issues, let's say, defensively, as Jokic just kind of got what they wanted. And then, like, no Murray hurt them, and we'll get to how in a minute, but um, Gordon and Porter Jr. both had a couple of big plays late. The one thing, I believe it was Gordon late, it's a five-point game, Gordon gets fouled, and misses back-to-back -back free throws. And it's like, as someone who had five and a half, it's like, that was it. That was our chance. You make both of those, it's basically over. Um, but instead, he misses them, and then... The Clippers come back and get a couple of good looks. They had a, a look to tie the game down three, and George ends up um, it, it ends up in a wedgie where it just sandwiches between the backboard and the rim. Um, but they they had a look to tie this game, um, and they, they they didn't do it. So the, the, the Nuggets late kind of failed to put this one away, and a real big play in this. It's a three point game, and instead of fouling the Laker or the, the Clippers, press and try to trap. And it leads to a turnover. Jokic passed it in in the middle. And I think it was KCP who turned it over. And it was just like, that was a point where it's like, man, this is where having a Jamal Murray would have really helped them in, in that spot. And so, like, his absence was noticed last night. But overall, Denver is, like, Jokic, it, it, was, it was so calming just knowing, like, okay, this guy's got it. Um, like, he missed a three in the corner late in the shot clock where it was basically just turned around and heaved. And for 99% of its way to the rim, you expected it to go in, and then it rims out. Um, but you, you expected that to go in. That's how good he was. And then the supporting cast did enough. Um, and for the Clippers late, like, it was... The offense was going great, 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 great. And then fourth quarter, all right, stalled. Um, and so that, that needs to get figured out. I think they're going to be okay, but defensively, like, that was a real issue last night against the team that's the standard bearer in the NBA. Um, also from last night, Memphis taking on the Lakers. I tuned into this game right around the time it was over. Like, I don't think I watched LeBron play a second in this game. But just, like, going back and watching some of the stuff after and, and reading some stuff, um, A, the Lakers set a franchise record for most three-pointers in a game. Um, the record was 20, uh, 21, sorry. Um, and they kind of blew past that one. And you, so you see the score and you see the Lakers get that. And it's like, oh, okay, well, they just out three-pointed the fuck out of them. Um, that was not the case. Memphis was kind of shot for shot with them um, in the threes. It was just everything else that was a problem. And I, even without jaw, um, I was not anticipating this be team being this bad um, this early on in the season. No Steven Adams, I think, hurts them significantly. But uh, Ja Morant not being there, and, like, this just... There was no life to this team. And defensively, they had some real problems as well. And that's supposed to be kind of a hallmark of this team. So Memphis, I think even when Jaw gets back, has a few things they need to figure out if they're going to be competitive this year. Or maybe this, like it's already kind of looking like just a lost year out in Memphis. Uh, so those are just some of my thoughts from what we saw last night. Uh, let's close the show here with today's ticket. All right, we got three games on today's ticket this evening. Raptors taking on the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Toronto played Milwaukee really well last time. Um, defensively, they gave them quite a few fits. And offensively, they kind of carved them up. And so because of that, I like the Raptors in this spot. I'm taking Toronto plus five and a half. Um, with, again, not an official pick. Little sprinkle on the old money line there. Um, Dallas, minus five and a half against the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are bad, and Dallas is actually playing some pretty good basketball right now. So I'll go Mavs, minus five and a half in that spot. And moving into the NHL, the, the Canucks are still kind of riding a heater, and the Islanders just don't score enough. Um, so I'm going Vancouver, minus a goal and a half in Bo Horvat's return to Vancouver. Um, that's going to do it for today's ticket, and that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, leave a like, subscribe, 
um, and leave a comment. That stuff helps the, the old algorithm out. If you're listening in podcast form, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you can. And um, yeah, that all helps. Coming up on tomorrow's show, it is going to be um, NFL Power Rankings Day. And we are also looking at the top players in the CFL right now as we get ready for Sunday's Grey Cup. Um, so that's all that's going on social media wise. Find me uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. And you can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. Talk to you guys tomorrow. I'm out.